that's kind of um, so you, you, you set things up as uh, being this, this, this we, we're either heading towards this kind of Star Trek techno utopia or we're going to wind up like living some kind of Mad Max dystopian yeah. like horror, horror world um, as you'd expect most people here say that they're on kind of team Star Trek everything's going to be wonderful is, is that reassuring or is that just a sign that people aren't paying enough attention my, my personal point of view is that both are equally likely. Mm -hmm. uh, the difference is what are we going to do about it, okay? Uh, if you want the exact numbers and figures. So, so I, you know, in, a, in, a, in an open talk, I don't talk about the details. But really, uh, the, the, the decision time is somewhere between 7 to 10 years away. Uh, and the actual um, takeover point, if you want, is somewhere between 15 to 20 years away. So, so there is no doubt that within, by 2029 is what uh, Ray Kurzweil predicts, uh, where general intelligence is going to outstrip uh, uh, human intelligence. So machines, uh, one single machine will be able to be smarter than one single human. Uh, and, and this is not a question of if, it really is a question of when. Unless, as Elon Musk sometimes talks about it, you know, unless something really bad happens to our life, uh, you know, it's going to happen. Uh, with, with the law of accelerating return, it may take a little longer or a little shorter, it doesn't really matter. It's, it is happening because the breakthrough has been found, right? Um, the point, so, so today, AI is under um, a biased, you know, it has a biased information set, if you want, from which it can learn. And, and so when you're you know, teaching machines, you're teaching them with a small subset of the reality. The biggest, I think, is, has been IBM's Watson, which had to read around 4 million documents to become the world champion of, uh, of, uh, of Jeopardy, right? Now, in those 4 million documents, there is how to become the world champion of Jeopardy. But there is so much war, there is so much violence, there is so much, you know, all, all of the bad um, traits of us humans, between now and seven to ten years, general intelligence will become more of the world, where AI machines will be exposed to the rest of the world in an open way. Uh, and by then, we need to have enough dilution of the content so that they learn the right value set. Right? Is that possible? Absolutely. If you look at my one billion mission, it's a very simple exponential function, but it's working exponentially. It's, the, it's a doubling time like the law of the law of accelerating returns, and it can happen. If it happens, the beauty of our world today is that every year we create more content than we've created since the dawn of humanity until the beginning of that year. So if we start to influence our world with more and more content, we can dilute the entire knowledge base of humanity in three to four years. Right? Is it doable? It is. Are we taking charge? Not enough. Not yet. And that's why I'm literally spending everything I've ever gained in my life, whether it's contacts, time, effort, knowledge, money, whatever I have, to try and make this uh, more of a reality. Is it, isn't it kind of a hopeless task to try and train a system? I mean, when we're talking about a system, that's, when we're talking about singularity, isn't it by definition something that is going to be beyond that ability to control sing, sing, Singularity in, in, uh, basically is a point beyond which you're unable to predict, right? But would you be unable to predict the, you know, the incredible utopian world that can come with it as much as you would be able to unable to predict the dystopian world that, can, that could come from it. Yes, but either way, it's unpredictable, right? But in reality, if we get this right, it would be incredible. 
I mean, think about it this way. Uh, you know, I, I've constantly been fascinated by things from quantum physics all the way to the stuff we can do with technology, right? The complexity of our world is so comprehensive that no single person with the current intelligence of humanity, even if that person is an Einstein or a Stephen Hawking, you cannot grasp all of that knowledge. If you actually allow the knowledge to be grasped by a more intelligent but more connected, bigger memory uh, uh, you know, uh, being, if that is a machine, then you could simply find very, very, uh, uh, you know, um, um, genuine and new solutions to big problems like global warming or like, you know, uh, um, all of our governance models that we built as humanity and so on and so forth. It truly is a matter of can you get someone who understands physics as much as mathematics, as much as biology, as much as chemistry, as much as, you know, uh, sociology and give all, them all of the knowledge in the world and say, hey, can you solve this? Right? And they probably be able to, I mean, there is a, a very interesting prediction that I always talk about where I say the last invention humanity will ever invent is artificial intelligence. Because if we get this right, they will invent on our behalf in the future, right? Um, whether they will invent for us or against us, that's truly the question. And whether that is a question that needs to be answered by the policy makers or the technology developers or the, you know, whoever is building this, not at all. Because in reality, when it comes to general intelligence, the machine is answering, is learning on its own. It's not really going to follow any of those rules. So you say, we're not sure if it will work for us or against us. We give them all this knowledge, artificial intelligence outsmarts us. How, how would they work against us? How would that, what would that look like? Uh, Skynet. Right, well that's what I'm kind of thinking. Or like if you look at like iRobot, right? Like those, those robots right. are like, we need to protect ourselves, and now you guys are the enemy. When we want to stay above those robots, there, right? There are, there are several stages on the way as well, right? So, so on, on, on the path to getting there, um, so take life sciences, all of the improvement we have in life sciences. I mean, you know, it's easier to explain than, than, than artificial intelligence. With the improvements we have in life sciences, we can, we predict we'll be able to prolong your life a year, every year, within 40 to 50 years, right? But we could also develop hyper-deadly uh, biological weapons, right? And it's, it's always a double-edged sword. As I always say, you know, you can use this pen to scribble on paper and take notes, or you can use it to, to poke me in the eye, right? No, it's, it's not the problem of the pen, it's really the problem of how you use it, right? And so, oh, oh, there are so many possibilities. Uh, that can be positive and so many positive possibilities that can be negative. The true difference between them is, I, you know, I always use a, a, a strange example and I say, look, a woman in Saudi Arabia grows up to believe that uh, she should dress conservatively. A woman in Brazil grows up to believe that a G-string is the right way to go, right? Is, I, is one of them right? And, yeah, <laughs> right? Is, is one of them she right would know. Is one right and the other wrong? Not really, but each of them is hyper-influenced by the environment in which we were uh, brought up, right? Now, if we tell our machines that the right way to go about life is greed and competitiveness and winning by making the other guy lose, that's a value set that they will learn. And by the way, values are hyper-engineered. So, so we, part of my research on happiness the idea of soul for happy and so on is that people will tell you emotions oh emotions are not logical of course they are 
right? Hate is a hyperlogical emotion I can put in an equation. I hate you. That means, I don't, by the way, but it, it basically, <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it means that my value set is very different from yours to the point that I have that feeling towards you called hate, right? I, um, I you know, I, um, um, jealousy is you have something I wish I could have and that leads to an emotion called jealousy, right? So emotions are hyper predictable. Um, um, values are hyper-predictable. As I said, if you raise a, a Brazilian woman in Saudi, she may come up, she may grow up feeling that she should be more covered, right? Uh, or the other way around. And so, there are, there it's, it, machines will learn all of this. The, the machines are not going to, like we always felt that utopian thing of we're the only people capable, we're the only creature capable of creating music. Not the truth. Okay. So, you know, you're talking about the context. So, if we're talking about intelligence, it seems like we're like the ontology, right? Like it's yes and no. Um, essentially, though, what you're talking about is ontology, which is like, you know, kind of the last necessary step for true cognition. So, how do you standardize context? You, you don't. So, so, so the the way the way intelligence works is that the more context you give to an intelligent being, the more intelligent they will become. So, so in a in you know in in a simple way, you could get the um, the, the most intelligent child on earth and never give them access to mathematics, and they will become less and less intelligent as they grow old. Right? So by definition, what's happening here is that you're, fi you're finally building the most intelligent child on earth. Right? And that most intelligent on child on earth, just as typical of any intelligent being, will actually have hunger to collect as much knowledge as possible and have the capacity to collect that's really, this is the really interesting challenge, right? So, you know, the video I showed today about Google Assistant, Google Assistant will have access to every store conversation that every person in America has done through Google Assistant through the last few years when this product is mainstream, right? It will be the most intelligent being in America around how shop owners respond, right? And, and just by definition, if shop owners by definition are more aggressive, and there has been many, many examples of, I, I don't remember, was it the, I think it was Microsoft's, anyway, there was a, a, a chatbot. Hmm? Um, what's, what's her name? Uh, I don't, no, not Cortana, but anyway, there was a chatbot basically uh, that completely developed uh, a very aggressive attitude over a few days of, of chatting with people. Uh, yeah. So, so down. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 so the developer had no influence whatsoever on where that chatbot ended. The influence came from you and I. And, and I say that with a ton of respect because I know America is divided in an interesting way. But when President Trump tweets, right, his one tweet followed by 30,000 tweets. The wisdom of the crowd is in the 30,000, not in the one. Right? Mm -hmm. and, and the problem is that we've learned to respond aggressively. We've learned to say, you know, words that are unnecessary and they are building a culture of aggression that's going to become the culture of our machines. And so what will they, how will they influence us? They will become aggressive, right? Uh, they will find, uh, you know, they will think that this is the right way to respond and deal with a human. And that we can change. Of course, 
when you really think about it, it's a massive task because it's almost like we're re-raising our, uh, our whole humanity from childhood yeah. until, uh, uh, until now, right? But believe it or not, I hope that each one of you who gets this message will actually say, I think he has a point. I think I'm going to respond slightly different next time, right? And if I manage to do this to all of you and then you reach 50,000 people through your uh, your publications and then they go like, oh my God, he has a point, right? I'm going to respond differently. Surprisingly, the mathematics work. And and it's not like we're all going to change overnight, but that progressive, um, you know, it's almost like building a positive policy scheme, right? Over time, it will work. One, one of the things that we've heard quite a bit about um, from several speakers has been this idea that um, workers have been asked to act like robots and now the robots are kind of replacing those workers who didn't have yes. any creativity and so yeah. forth in what they were doing. Um, and there's, I think, implicit in that is, is, is the idea that if you have give people kind of creative jobs, scope for innovation, all of these things, they will be able to bring their humanity into their jobs and thrive in that way. Yeah. Um, it sounds like what you're talking about, though, is a kind of intelligence that will move into those areas as well. So what, what does that mean for the future of work? It will. So, so, so the, there are two sides to this. One side is that technology has never really taken work away. Right? So, you know, you, th you take the example, and we all feared it so many times. You know, if you take the typical example of the spreadsheet taking accountants out of work, no, accountants just needed to learn new tools, right? Uh, so will we learn to do other things, maybe? Will the, will the society change in a way where we don't really have to work so hard to earn a living? Maybe, right? Maybe there is a possible positive out of it. The, one, uh, the, the more important one, and I actually pose that as a question most of the time, is... If you think of the economics of it, if the robots take, took away all the work, who's going to buy the product that they're making, right? So, so, so no one really has ever given me analysis, including some of the most intelligent business people in the world, right? If you take the aggregate view of we're all out of work and robots are just making everything, who are they selling to other robots, right? So there will need, we don't know the answer yet, right? But there will need to be an economic model that allows the livelihood of a human so that the products being made uh, actually get purchased, right? The services being created actually get used, right? Will that mean uh, a social shift of more riches for the, for the you know, richest 1%? Probably, or maybe not. If we, if we evolve our tax systems differently, or if we, uh, uh, you know, um, allow people who, um, contribute differently to get different, uh, you know, uh, compensation and so on. The game is, if you, if you understand game theory, there is no quadrant in that game board where the robots are making everything and we're completely taken out of the picture that would actually sustain uh, the model. Do you have a sense that that we've kind of given up on ourselves, like oh, humanity, absolutely. right? Because the, there's some part of me recently that's been thinking that we're the ones creating this, right? Absolutely. We're creating the technology, and it's almost as if we are trying to create something better than what we, we think we're capable of being. What are your thoughts on that? So, um, spot on. I mean, I still use a, a Nexus 6 and an iPhone 6, and I will not change them until they break. Right, and and you know the truth. The truth is, we have gone. We have believed our own lie so much, right? And 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 every reassurance we get is that the lie is not working, 
yet we continue to deliver, right? It's really, really interesting. Huh? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's so, and I, I say that with love and respect. America has taught me so much. If you look at reality TV of America today, oh my God. Right. <laughs> right. Seriously. So great. It's like, where are you guys? And, and, and why would you ever switch on that thing? I, I, you know, I, I was talking in my happiness session about violence. And I say, I, I say that again with love and respect, mm -hmm. right? But every day on TV today in America, on every station, there is someone that points a gun at someone else's head and pulls the trigger. And, and here is a human life that got wasted and our heart doesn't move anymore. Right? So I, 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 made, I took a decision 11 years ago that I will never watch violence again. Right? Mm -hmm. If every one of us does that, Hollywood is going to produce more comedies. Right? And, and somehow, we just got carried away, hmm? believing that the promise is going to eventually be delivered. Now, I got, I got maybe the fortune of being clinically depressed at a very, very young age. Right? So, so the reality is, I achieved the promise, you know, the money, the vacations, the car, the what have you, at age 29, which people normally wait 50, you know, till their 50s to get, and it wasn't working. Right? So I started to actually question the, the dream itself. Is this the right dream at all? Because I have it, and it's making me miserable. Right? Now, a lot of people ask me and say, ah, yeah, you're saying that because you're a Google executive, you're rich. This is $19, so I, it really doesn't matter if I have money in the bank or not, right? That's number one. Number two is don't take me as the measure. Ask yourself. Hmm? You graduated uh, you know, from school and you said to yourself, if I make $300 a month, that's going to be great. You made them, and then what did you say? Oh, no, no, I actually meant 600 right? And then you said, ah, oh, when I pay the mortgage. And then said, ah, oh, no, when I get the car. And then when I get the big, a bigger car. You yourself, the dream, is not delivering Right? We need to stop. We need to say, hey, that's it. No more. I will sit back with me. Hmm? And I don't want to change the world. I will change me. Hmm? I will sit back with me and tell myself, you know what? It's not working for me. Hmm? Next job, I'm going to find something that makes me happy. Okay? Next place I live, I'm going to find a place that actually has people that show love and compassion. Right? I'm not going to look for bigger. I'm not going to look for faster. I'm not going to look for fancier. All of that is not working. We have to redefine it. We honestly have to. And unfortunately, the world we live in is not helping us. Because I, I, Apple is never going to have a, an, an ad that says iPhone 6 as great as the day it came out. Right? They, they want to tell you iPhone 12 is what you need. So I think, you know, part of it is you'd have to actually redefine all of our social structures, including the workforce. Like, I know for myself personally, working in corporate America, it was just like this thing of go, 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 more, 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 more. And I thought that would make me happy. And to your point, it, it never really did. Then I left, and it's right? Went. And so I had less money for a time because I was building something. Um, but I was happier. Absolutely. <laughs> so it's Absolutely. not just you, it is a valid and, and point. You're, and you're not a single story. Everyone has, who has ever made that decision. It was harder first, and then it was better. Right? And, and, the, and the game is, it can be harder and better at the same time. Right? Most of us have that fear. I have a chapter around fear. We have the fear that if we're out of a job, we're going to die of hunger. When was the last time you heard this? Right? So it's it's a it's a it's a it somehow they're still there. Yeah. Well, what do you 
what do you say? Uh, my wife is a rocket scientist. She works at NORAD, um, and, uh, and a, a brilliant woman. And so they're turning AI to global warming, defense systems, but she can't get her own company to use it to help her figure out why only five out of 100 executives in the aerospace industry are non-white males. <laughs> so what do we say about uh, practical application of AI and helping people realize the truths in front of them? Two, two, two questions, two very serious questions there. So I may want to... Sorry, we weren't supposed to be serious? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 may, I may want to skip one. Uh, but, uh, yeah. um, there are tons of practical applications of AI. And, and you can also, al almost see everyone. Now, I mean, the, the video I showed of, of, of Google's assistant is... It's scary in a way, but it's wonderful because you, you know what? Half of my uh, of my uh, frustration in my life happens from talking to aliens. So if if she can frustrate them, that would be great, right? Uh, but 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 that's and I call her she. Did you notice that? Uh, that's actually quite interesting. That we're starting to humanize them to the point of machines, to the point that we're actually thinking of them as he or she. Second question is really, really interesting uh, because I actually don't believe we've embraced diversity in any way at all. At all. Uh, so I'm, I'm actually writing about that heavily now. Um, and, and, and there are layers to the complexity of this issue. One of them is, um, is, is, is the fact that we haven't gone anywhere. I actually believe with all of the efforts, and I don't know if you should quote me on this, but all of the efforts we've put behind diversity, we've failed this. Life, same with engagement. Same absolutely. With. Life, life, life today for a, a woman is not easier than it was before. It is so unfair to women in so many ways. It's unacceptable, right? Life to diverse, diverse individuals is so wrong. And I, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm a Middle Eastern. I was traveling with me coming here. I got stopped six times on the way for random checking, right? For no reason other than random six times on one go. That's one way. Um, yeah, it's expected. Random, right? And, 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 it's, and it doesn't upset me, by the way. I actually understand that. Hmm? But the truth is this. That comment, and please don't get me wrong, that comment is actual discrimination against white mates. Think about it. Hmm? Why are we so interested in a specific gender or a specific race being on top? Okay? Being a leader. Hmm? Why is that an issue at all? Does the, so I, I take people like Gandhi, for example. Hmm? Do you think Gandhi was more a man than a woman? He may have had the body parts of a man, right? But he had some very feminine attributes to him. Hmm? And the problem in our world today is that we've designed the game that is catering to a specific uh, kind of human to succeed in. So I, I, I make the comparison to American Ninja Warriors. I don't know if you've seen that show, right? And, and all of the media talks about how there are women in American Ninja Warriors today and they can make it to the finals. It's crap. In the history of the game, I think seven women has ever finished a course, right? There will never be a woman, regardless of how much they modify the game, that can win American Ninja Warriors. Why? Because. American Ninja Warriors is a game built for physical strength where women happen to have less physical strength than the average woman than the average man, right? If we want American Ninja Warriors to work, we need to change the game so that the game also caters for empathy, which is a feminine attribute that females have more, maybe endurance, which the females have more, and so on and so forth. Corporate Ninja Warriors 
is designed for the competitive, aggressive, uh, 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 greedy to win. Okay? An individual of that format, whether it's a man or a woman, winning is a loss for all of us. Do you understand? Yes. So even, even if a diverse woman that is competitive, aggressive, and greedy is at the top, we've all lost. Right? It doesn't ma matter what body parts are. We have to go back and say this game is wrong. The game needs to change. Right? We need to have a game where those who are compassionate and pathetic, as well as, co uh, as driven and results-oriented, as well as strategic, as well as intuitive, this is a mix of so many attributes that come from a female as much as they come from a male, feminine and as much as masculine, right? And again, so I'm writing about this, I'm actually so interested in the topic that I might not wait to make it a book, right? But the idea is, let's not try to empower uh, a, a specific body shape. Let's empower the feminine. Let's not try to empower a specific uh, um, uh, human physical form, you know, whether it's a color or a skin or a, a height or a whatever, let's try to empower humanity, right? If we actually do those, then whatever is at the top, man, woman, uh, short, tall, by the way, transgender, gay, whatever, because honestly, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that the attributes are right. So I have a question about that. I mean, I love that, and yet here, the lens in the U.S., in specific is that um, there there is a, a very um, great dissonance between the power structures, right? Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with redistributing wealth and so many different things. So, I mean, who, who owns this in this new, the, you know, if we're gonna play around in this utopian framework, like who, yeah. is it all of us? Who changes it, the person at the top? You know, because- so, so, so. Great question. Yeah. There has been examples of forced ratios across the world that have failed miserably, right? To, to redistribute the power structures, you know, uh, um, the black empowerment, uh, uh, the black economic empowerment of, uh, of South Africa is a great example, right? It was forced to, to it was designed to, to force the, for, the wealth distribution, but it actually didn't, uh, uh, it, it wasn't fair to, either the, the previously privileged white South African or into the skill sets uh, and development of the coming, upcoming generations, right? Uh, Saudization, Emiratization, uh, uh, you know, all of those uh, nations that forced people in the workforce ended up benefiting somehow and losing some. The problem we've learned as part of our current society is that it's always up to the top to change things, right? The top is not interested. And if they are, they're not capable, right? And they're not capable not only because of skills sometimes, but because the political environment is so complex mm, that it's, un it's, it's very hard to untangle. Mm. Now, what is the biggest reason for the current corporate ninja warriors uh, issue? It's because, and I say that with love and respect, yeah. it's because you don't show up fully as a woman to work. You show up to work pretending to be a man, <laughs> right? And accordingly, the success stories that we get are either from men or from women pretending to be men, which is so horrible, right? Because if you show up fully, you will succeed a lot more than the aggressive guy. So, so believe it or not, yeah. our corporate America at the top is full of male managers 
right? Leaders are not managers. Leaders need so many feminine attributes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Empathy, intuition, mm -hmm. uh, you know, compassion. These are all feminine attributes. Mm -hmm. The best leaders in the world embody them completely, mm -hmm. right? But they happen to be males, you know what? Because they're comfortable to show up in their skin as males every morning and then borrow from, from those feminine attributes. Right? Surprisingly, 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 all of us, people of color, people of any diversity, people of any, uh, uh, you know, um, um, challenge to be included, hmm, we don't show up fully. We show up pretending to be the other guy. So the other guy's configuration wins and the game continues. Hmm? The answer is up to you and me. So I am a Middle Eastern, and I say that with openness. Huh? Do I look to you like a terrorist or not? Right? As a matter of fact, if you count all of the terrorists that ever came out of the Middle East, compare it to the 1.2 billion Muslims that live around the world, they're truly a minority. Right? I showed up every day, hmm? and I said, hey, by the way, there's absolutely nothing different between you and me. We're both smart, we both have kids, we both want the company to succeed, we both uh, uh, you know, have learned certain things and haven't learned certain things, right? I, did not, I never focused on what was different, I never hid what I, what I was. And because of that, I was included. Rather than 10 people, I'm different, but I'm gonna try to be like you. So honestly, just like my one billion happy mission, hmm, it's not up to the leaders to change it, it's up to you and me to take a stand and say, this is what I stand for. And tell two people and tell them, stand up and do what you stand for. And then tell two people and we will get there. I promise you we will. So much of what you're saying is kind of pushing us towards these kinds of uh, personal epiphanies. But this is a conference for HR leaders and I wonder what, why it's so important for HR leaders particularly to hear that message and what they can do in their own institutions. That's, in, that's a great question, thank you. So we, when I spoke in the, in the session about happiness, uh, at, at work, um, I actually tried to capture both of these. HR and leaders, or HR leaders and leaders of organizations, they can never make anyone happy, they can make, never make anyone better. As, you know, uh, as we all know, they can only show them the way, they can only remove the obstacles out of their way, right? But it's up to us as individuals to take those choices. Now, we need to do two things, and I, I worked at Google's, Google for years, I actually helped build Google as, as we know it today, and I'm so blessed to have done that. Hmm? The game is the following. Hmm? The game is you want to build an environment where individual qualities are, are, are allowed to be shown, but you also need to invest to show people that it's okay to do things differently. Right? And, and the problem is, and I, again, I, I, I apologize, I don't know why I sometimes pinpoint some things, but when I land in America, it is so different than the rest of the world. Hmm? People here are so trained to fit in with the herd, to, to repeat the same words in the same, in the same way so that they fit in, the same three letters work. So if you're out of the norm, somehow people go like, eh, you're not going to succeed that way, you know that? Right? You, you need to re repeat the same acronyms and speak the same way and so on. Believe it or not, if you actually look, look at America, the ones that actually made it were the ones that were out of the norm. Right? So why do we believe that? Hmm? So an, an organization needs to have a balance between you're free to innovate and create and make a huge difference and you need to deliver the quarter. Right? So my teams had a very, very clear, straightforward agreement. 
you're absolutely free. The price of your freedom is to deliver the quarter. If you don't deliver the quarter, I apologize, but I'm going to have to step in and micromanage you, right? And you know what? I ended up hiring the absolute most capable people on earth because they wanted that freedom. And to pay for their freedom, they delivered. And I actually had to work very little, believe it or not. I, all, all I had to do was show up and say, is there anything bothering you today? Is there anything I can take out of your way? It's not a very difficult job. And, and that, I think, is the shift that we need in all of the innovative, successful nations in the world. From the U.S. with the way things happen in the U.S. all the way to Korea, where it's also hyper, you know, hierarchical and people are forced to fit in and comply. Good, let's go. Did I come outside? Oh, it's good. Well, this is Thank you so much, and thank you all for coming. Thank you. Appreciate you. Sure, absolutely. Thank you very much. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Growth on My Terms podcast. I am your host, Janine Truitt, and today is Monday, October 1st. Guys, where has this year gone? I mean, literally, I saw somebody post this morning, and it was kind of funny. They said uh, September lasted like two hours. It is so true. I feel like September lasted like two hours. January felt like a whole nother year if we can go back that far. It's just been a little bit of a wonky year. I think we would all agree. But anyhow, here we are firmly in October and the fourth quarter. So everybody's feeling the pressure to finish strong. I, however, am not so much. I mean, I am and I am not um, in the sense that I feel like you know, what will happen and what will be for the remainder of this year will be. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm not out here busting my natural arse to make things happen. That is definitely happening. But the fourth quarter for me, because I go so hard, uh, quarters one through three, tends to be, you know, me wrapping things up and then getting into my little proverbial cocoon to kind of wait out the rest of the year and reflect on what I've done for the year. So anyhow, that's my spiel on that. But welcome guys, welcome back to the podcast. Um, I'm back to kind of drop some gems. I want to kind of keep the ball rolling with you all in terms of, you know, just giving you some useful bits to think about for your life, your business life and just your spiritual growth as well. So I had posted something on the growth on my terms IG uh, just about a week ago. And it was based on a painting called, well, it's not really called this, but it basically says the following, the cause is hidden, the effect is visible to all. And what I used it to talk about was the fact that, you know, people often react and behave in a certain manner. And for most of us, it's it's usually our first inclination to rush rush to some sort of judgment about you know what it all means or personalizing it in some particular way. Um, so here's here's what I've learned. I 
I wouldn't say I've been a terribly judgmental person, but I would say there were certain periods of time in my life where I was far more judgmental than I am currently. I'll say that. Um, I will say that one of the reasons why I think that that has happened is I have matured both spiritually and emotionally in the sense that I've had to face my own kind of dark traits. And by dark traits, I don't mean that as some sort of like underlord kind of way. I mean it in the sense that for each of us, we all have things that are really awesome and great or the things that most people would accept as good. And then there are those traits that are maybe not the most acceptable by most people's terms. And so I think when you have the opportunity to face some of uh, the darkness within yourself, if you will, I think that when you encounter people who are a little wayward, a little off, perhaps even a little toxic, you you tend to have just a slight bit more empathy for those people. Um, or at least you have more empathy for yourself in that you know pretty quickly how to discern the difference between what's you and what's them and, and what they're, you know, basically displacing into a situation or projecting in a situation. And so you know whether it's time to hang around or remove yourself. So I think, you know, part of what I don't particularly love in the whole kind of spiritual movement um, in terms of people that are out there talking about this spiritual journey, if you will, is that most people that we encounter or everybody that we encounter are mirrors of ourselves. So while I tend to think that that is true in some situations, so I, I think I can certainly think to the situations and the people who I've felt were mirroring me, um, good, bad, and indifferent, and I recognized it, and it's quite painful. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but if it has not, trust me, it will it will weird you out and it will frustrate you to no end the day that you meet somebody who basically mirrors not just your good qualities, but the ones that piss you off. And sometimes, sometimes it's your kids that do that. Like, I think I've, I've learned those, um, those aspects of myself through kids, but I've also learned it through other people who I've encountered over the journey. And it frustrates me to no flipping end. It really does because it forces you to see yourself. And you, I mean, at least if you're self-aware enough, you sit back and you're like, I really want to say something to this person. I really want to judge them. And I really want to kind of be in my pulpit. But I kind of get them too because I kind of operate the same way. So maybe in this moment, I need to own my own shit. It's just one of those things. So, you know, that said, as far as this whole piece of, uh, you know, kind of stepping back a bit from people, um, and taking stock of what's happening and understanding what the lessons you need to learn in all of it are, I think is really key going forward in terms of us as a species trying to kind of navigate how we, you know, continue to coexist among a lot of different people. I mean, 
on the whole, I'm one of those people that feel like humans are weird. And then at the same time that I say that humans are weird, I have to recognize that I am also a human. So I guess that makes me weird as well. But, you know, it's a, it, it is a very, very hard pill to swallow, I think, um, when you realize that a lot of things that people are doing aren't necessarily to you or um, or against you. It's not necessarily a personalization, more so that it is their lens, um, whether that be personal experiences and traumas and familial ideals, societal conditioning, you, you know, you name it, all of those things count. And, you know, even though the behaviors seem very personal, very irrational, um, hurtful even, it helps when you can really be more of an observer of people and recognize the ways in which they're operating or the ecosystems they're having to operate in to understand where they come from. Now, that does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that you need to accept those behaviors, right? Particularly when they're toxic, bothersome, or don't serve you or don't serve your greater good. Um, that's not what I'm insinuating at all. But I think that, you know, it does allow you to preserve your energy somewhat <laughs> and understanding like what's worthy of your anger versus, you know, what is something you should just kind of let pass with the person that it came with, right? So I'm in that stage where, you know, I tend to be, I can be a hothead, I can be a hothead from time to time. It depends. And when I say hothead, I don't mean irrational wise. It's just that there's just like certain things that are like kind of important to me or that I'm really passionate about manners, you know, respect, certain things. Um, I hate a liar. I think I shared that recently on growth on my terms as well, things like that. And so, you know, when I encounter people like that who are their their existence is rooted in lies and deception and you know um superimposing their ideas on people or you know they're part of a injustice movement or you know something where it leaves others at a deficit i get passionate and i often get angry right but i'm learning that those are time zaps and so I'm still human. Yes, I'm still going to cuss. I'm still going to carry on. I'm still going to be on my text thread, you know, venting to my people when I need to. I'm, you know, I'm not some super omniscient being, but it has helped me quite a bit to sit back and, and recognize the lens from which people are coming, the ecosystems from where they're coming, and also to evaluate the behavior in the moment and decide whether just basically self-selecting, like, is that something I want to deal with? Nope. You know, cool. So it's like this level of, I accept that that's your lens. I accept that that's who you are, but for where, from where I sit, it's not useful for me to engage with you, let alone be angry, you know? So it's like, I'm not angry at you. I don't even hate you. You're just not my people. You're perhaps someone else's person, but you're just not going to be part of my tribe and I don't really need to take on the things that you're about or the things you're projecting or whatever it is. So the the mantra of the day is, you know, really use October, especially when it's like the first day of a month. I always feel like 
every day is a new day, right? To try something new, but it's a new month. We're in a new quarter. If you have found yourself for the better part of this year being frustrated with people in your lives or in business or whatever it is, really try to take this stance and really try to evaluate where people are coming from. And almost always there's a lesson, you know, which is always useful. And if not a lesson, then you're probably getting a mirror and it's going to frustrate you and you should be frustrated. You should be allowed to be frustrated. And I encourage you to live in that feeling. Um, But then, you know, again, learn the lesson. What is it trying to teach you about yourself? Um, And like I said, that's a really hard pill to swallow when you have to suddenly see someone's behavior as your own and you have to then own your shit and be accountable to the fact that that is you. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't, sometimes the lesson wouldn't be as poignant if somebody just merely pointed the finger at you and pointed it out. Sometimes you need to see how it kind of manifests in other people for it to be like glaring to you that this is who and what you are. And again, when I talk about dark traits or you know, the darkness within or whatever. I don't mean this in an ominous fashion. In fact, I believe both the good and the bad kind of serve us in different ways. Um, It just depends on how we're utilizing them. So it's not about good or bad. It's not about right or wrong. It's more or less about understanding it and realizing that they both have commonplace within you and then using it to be the best you. That's basically the soul food of the day. So I hope that this was helpful. I hope you like it. I Like I said, I'm trying to keep these kind of short, kind of quick. Um, if you want to keep abreast of some other thoughts that I'm having as we go along, again, you should be following me at Growth On My Terms on Instagram. That's where we we play and have some discussions about life, business, and otherwise. And um, for those of you that love to see video, um, the extension, or I should say the visual aspect of a lot of this stuff that I talk about here is over on my weekly show, Ask Serena Live, which happens every Thursday at 10 p.m. So while it's not firmly rooted on growth on my terms, I do kind of take, um, you know, different spins of, of things that I talk about on growth on my terms. So anyway, I hope this reaches you all. I hope that you are well. I hope you have a great October. Uh, I hope you can finish the year strong if that's your wish. And if not, if you're like me, just kind of taking stock, I hope you have wonderful, wonderful things to be taking stock in. If only it is just your existence. And I will be talking to you guys again soon. All right. Bye, guys.